Good evening. This is a Tomorrow Christian Today. Reading Romans 3 in the NLT. But first and always, we pray. Dear Lord, it's been a full day, but a wonderful day. Thank you for being with me from start to finish. Thank you for allowing me to go downtown, to be able to work in the office. Thank you for granting me health and strength. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, this privilege to read your word and to have the Holy Spirit reside in us, to live in us. We trust you. We love you. We want to serve you. We want to hear from you through the Holy Spirit, Lord. We ask you to grant us humility and meekness. Help us to be able to relax and to be able to listen now as your word speaks to us. We thank you for the privilege of prayer that we can speak to you. And thank you, Lord, as we are about to study your word. Grant us, Lord, that you will show us and give us some insights and some epiphanies that we did not know before. I pray in the name of Christ the King. Amen. This is Romans, so I guess I have a little bit of an awe. The, all the books of the Bible are inspired, you know, all God's words inspired as, as holy men spoke as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a God-breathed book, but Romans we always know is Paul laying out the theology of the Christian church. So why don't we begin? Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scripture says about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is a merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? And I think he says that in 1 Corinthians 6, that he's going to, he's going to judge the saints. Is that going to happen during the millennium? Does that happen? When does the judging happen? Is it happening now? Or does it happen? Do we get to see it? Do we get to see the results of the judging? Does it happen all at once at some point in time? Do we get to see how other people were judged? Lord, why did this person not make it? Why, did, why didn't this person not make it? If, you're, if God is very transparent, would he show his sons and daughters why other people did not make it into the new covenant? I, I think so. I just don't know when the timing would be. And if there's something in the scriptures that suggests that, I really don't know how to prove it. Because there are different puzzle pieces in the scriptures and people arrange it in a different way. We're supposed to trust God. God knows God's going to do it his way. God's going to get it right. And anything that we do of speculation is just that speculation. We're allowed to think, but the Bible says, trust, lean not unto your own understanding, but trust in God. We don't have to figure God and Jesus out anymore. Some people have a very informationalized type of gospel. They have to figure out everything. They have to be right. Other people are wrong. They have to explain it their way. And everybody has to see it their way. It doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. The narrow path is the path carved out by Jesus as he walks towards the Father. That's the path we got to uh, walk but I think some people more, may walk more on the left side 
Some people may walk, may walk more on the right side. Some people may walk in the middle. It is the narrow path. It's not a line. It says, some might argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. The subtitling here is all people are sinners. Well, then should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. So what, you know, if you're a human being, you're a sinner automatically, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish. Whatever, whatever it is, we're all sinners. We're all under the power of sin. By default, we sin. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. I think Jesus, Jesus was the only one that was sinless. He's the only human being of every human being that's ever lived, that ever got it 100% right. He always did God's will. He always took the path less traveled. He always did everything right. He was all good, no evil. There is no sin in him because he says to the Pharisees, I say to you, if you even lust after a woman in your heart, that you're guilty of adultery. Now, how could he say that and, and do it? So he would be a hypocrite. He would be a bad actor to be able to say that to someone. You're not even allowed to think about sin um, and himself not do that. So obviously, if he says that, it's because he had the power to not even sin in his mind. Personally, I can think of situations where it seems like my mind just automatically goes to sin. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's justified. I'm just saying that, you know, there are some situations that Jesus never even thought about sin. He never even went that way. You know, as the saying goes, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop the bird from building a nest in your hair. Well, I've never had a bird build a nest in my hair, so I honestly don't know. But if Jesus didn't even sin by default, he was tempted. See, God can't be tempted. Jesus was tempted. Um, God can't die. Jesus did die. God can't be nailed to a cross. Jesus was nailed to a cross. But he's still God because he never sinned. He's sinless. He's totally pure. That's, that's my hermeneutic, by the way. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. My, my gospel is trusting in Jesus, loving Jesus, and trusting in God, that God is my Father because of Jesus' death on the cross. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. When I first read this, I thought it was pretty harsh. And David was a man after God's heart. We know that. We know the great things that King David did. But we also know he did some pretty wicked things too. And he was a man after God's own heart. I don't think I'm even that. Yes, I want to read the Bible. Yes, I want to know the Lord every day. But I don't think I was like King David. I haven't done some of those things, but maybe given a certain circumstance, we're all capable of great sin. You know, given certain conditions, we all can sin. So we're all, we're all really guilty of sin, of evil, of going our own way. Verse 12, all have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. 
They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Who, who are we talking about here? These people sound really, really horrible. Like this is some really stark imagery. Is this religious people? Is, is this what Paul is, is writing about? That there are people who look really, really good, but they actually stink from the inside. Of course, God is the one who can see all perspectives. God is totally qualified to judge everybody 100%. I mean, we have to evaluate people. Like if there are people with certain um, problems or certain questionable histories, we can't allow them to do certain things. Like one of the big things that comes up is working with children. You know, you're, you have ministry leaders, um, you know, plan to protect. Uh, you have people working with kids. Now, if somebody, whether it's a male or a female, has problems with kids in the past, we don't need to go into that, and they become a redeemed Christian, um, is it okay for them to work with kids? Well, they could take plan to protect, right? But is it okay to work for them? The answer is who knows? But the thing is, for the sake of safety, for the sake of safety, you probably would not allow such a person to work with kids because you never know what might happen. It's not to say that we don't care and that a person can't be forgiven by God. Absolutely. But there was something in their psyche that caused them before to have a certain weakness around young children. And even though they have become a Christian, a professing Christian, and they're, it's just better not to let them work around kids. If something happens, a lot of accusations could fly. A, a child could be damaged. And the thing is, there's a lot of litigation involved. So the thing is that we don't judge. God knows the final answer, but you have to be discerning. You have to have wisdom. Even Jesus says, does anybody build a tower and not sit down and decide if you've got all the resources to build the tower? No, in our church, we've had discussions about many things. And, you know, one lady said, wait, we don't, we don't get because we don't ask. That's true. I think that James said that. And we have to ask big so God will bless us big. Absolutely agree. But at the same time, Jesus says that you have to be intelligent about some of the decisions you're making. You can't just run off half cocked and make very stupid decisions that they're not informed. And there are some people that are good thinkers. Yes, you can overthink, but you can also underthink too. So we definitely have to pray. And I know I have to pray for wisdom and discernment. I mean, are people having religious discussions? Nobody had a religious discussion today at work, thank God. But it was like, you know what, you got to really, you got to really, when someone starts a religious discussion around you, you know, especially if you're a Christian, you're passionate about Jesus, you got to be careful what you say. Even if you think it's justified, if, if someone thinks they're being condemned or you're getting too angry or there's a tone in your voice that's, um, that they could just label you as the, you know, as the troublemaker, as the person, the instigator. And it's like, well, that's not fair. But you know what? That's what happens in Christianity. Sometimes even though you're the Christian and you're the one that's the victim, somehow the situation gets turned around and it makes you look like you're the perp. And of course, of course that's going to happen. That's what the devil does. The devil is always trying to get his way, his fingers into a situation between people or between Christians and other people who are not believers, who are not sure, and tar the Christian and make them look bad. And all of a sudden the Christian is the one who started the whole mess to start with which is definitely not true. You have to be wise and discerning. I guess it's like that Kenny Rogers song. You have to know when to hold them and when to fold them. You have to know when to talk and when to keep silent and how much to say 
And I guess the Holy Spirit is the one that has to give us the balance between what to say, what not to say, when to say it, how much of it to say. And all we can do is just ask the Lord to give us the wisdom. As Jesus, as it says in the Bible, you will not have to figure out beforehand what you are to say. When the time comes, the Holy Spirit, as you open your mouth, will tell you what you need to say. We just have to be connected to God through prayer and through study. Verse 19, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given. So it was given to the Jews. Now the law of Moses was that the 603 commandments or the law of Moses was the whole 613 commandments, which is the like the ceremonial law plus the 10 commandments. I've heard lots of debate about this. Law of God, law of Moses, you know, law of Moses. I mean, God wrote it, but Moses wrote it, right? God wrote it through Moses or he gave it to Moses and Moses wrote it down. But it's the law, it's information, it's rules. Do this, don't do this. So I think that's what we're talking about in verse 19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purposes to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world that the entire world is guilty before God. So the, the law is like a mirror, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Well, not you, because you sinned, right? The law is unforgiving. It's not alive. It doesn't forgive you. It doesn't put its arm around you and say, you know what? You messed up and you need to try again. And it's okay. You get a second chance. The law can't do that. It's just, it's god's words it, it accuses you and that's what paul says in romans 7 he says the law kind of um creates a new death because if you tell someone not to do it something they'll do it or you tell someone not to think about something that's what they're going to think about i think that's what it means but like i said i don't tell you what to think i ask you to think about what i tell you it says for no one can ever be made right with god by doing what the law commands the law simply shows us how sinful we are. So why did God give the law to the Israelites? Why not just give them the new covenant? I don't know why. I don't know. But it just seems to be a natural progression. When you're a child, you don't understand love and, and being respectful and other-centered. You're just given rules because your, your maturity level is really, really small. And I think when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they basically came out of the world. They had no rights. I don't think they were very nice people. It's like when you don't have any rights, you're being worked to death. You don't even have a Sabbath day. You don't even have a rest day to take a break. I don't think you're a very happy camper. And I think that that's why God gave them the rules, because the rules now were like training wheels. They were constructs. Do this. Don't do this. And maybe the law was supposed to push them to love God. Like if your daddy and mommy tell you to do something and then you're like, I don't want to do this. And then you'd... You don't do it, or you get a timeout, or you don't get your toy, or something else, and then you realize, you know what, um, I better do what I'm told to do, and then you do it, and then you see that there's actually blessings, not consequences, and then one day you mature and you say, hey, Dad, I know I wasn't too happy at the time, but I know why you did it, I love you, and now I can take it from here. I think it's just maturity, it's just emotional intelligence and maturity. That's what I think. So that's why the law can't make you right. And you know what? There's another passage in the Bible. I have to turn to it because I remember when I was studying about, you know, the Sabbath and about the law and everything. And all of a sudden I read this passage and I've read this before. It says, 1 Timothy 1, chapter 9, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, of those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, um, immoral people, uh, men who are, 
men who practice alternative, um, you know, methods and lifestyles, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. When I read this, I go, wait a second. I thought the law was for lawful, lawful people. Well, lawful people, if they, if they do lawful stuff from the heart, they don't need training wheels. It's the people who don't know how to ride the bike. It's the people who are the troublemakers. They need to be able to have a standard saying, hey, you want to stay within the good side of the law? Do this. Don't do this. Or there's going to be a penalty. There's going to be the big stick. And I was really freaked out by this. It's like, am I keeping the Sabbath? Am I actually an unlawful person? Well, the thing is, it seems to me that, you know, the, uh, the Sabbath day of, of, the, of the law was one set day. Everybody had to do it. It was corporate. And now Jesus comes along and says, I'm your Sabbath. I'm your peace. It's not about a day anymore. It's about what he's done between you and the Father. It's a restoration, a reconnection of the relationship that you had with your heavenly Father. It was broken. Now it's been fixed. And we have Jesus to thank. And we can have peace with God. God is no longer a stranger. He's no longer this big transparent light in the sky that's going to ding you if you do something wrong. Now he's your Father. And you're going to try to be good, to be a good little boy and girl. You're going to try to please your heavenly father. Abba, daddy, you're going to try to do this because you want to. Nobody has to tell you to do it. You want to do it. You want to read your Bible. You want to pray. And, you know, they say in church, hey, if you don't want to, just fake it till you make it. Ask your heavenly father to make you want to. Lord, I want to love you, but I don't. How can I? Well, maybe your Heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit if you keep asking. And one day it's like, Lord, I'm sorry I ever hated you. I, I want to do what you said. I want to be clean. Even David Pawson said, cleanliness is next to godliness. If you have God, you'll want to look your best. You'll want to take care of your health. You'll want to watch what you eat. You'll want to be good. You'll want to be a cut above the rest. Arnold used to say, you know what? He does the bodybuilding for the joy. It's not a chore for him. He's good at it. He likes it, but he does it because he wants to. I think if we have a relationship with God, we should want to. Okay, it might go against the grain. Some people have besetting sins. We're all different. But if you really want to trust Jesus as your Savior and you trust him, isn't he going to sanctify your heart so that in the end you look at yourself and you go, wow, I don't even remember when some of those sins that I really liked, I just let go of them and I don't even remember. You know, when's the last time I did them? You know, I used to change my kids, or my wife did too. It was Pampers and Huggies. And I remember, I can't remember the last, last diaper we ever changed. That was many, many moons ago. That was like 14 years ago. You know, that was like, it just seemed like we were always changing diapers. Always, always diapers, you know. Oh, this, this, this diaper's really good. This diaper's not so good. This diaper's completely soaked. Man, you could thwack somebody with this thing. It's like concrete. It's so wet. And now it's like, oh, when's the day going to happen when my kids, they, they, they can just change their own pants and underwear now? That day happened many, many years ago. I almost miss having a baby now. Maybe I should be a grandfather. Hey, I'm 58 years old. Going to be 59 soon. I'm feeling very grandpa-ish right now. I'm just feeling very uh, cotterish old codgerness right now. I'm feeling my joints. I'm feeling my ears. I don't think I can get out of this chair tonight. <laughs> As the comedian says, when you drop something and you're 40 years old, you look down at it and you say, yeah, you might, uh, you might uh, be down there a little bit longer there, buddy. 
<laughs> That's funny stuff, man. That's funny stuff. You love that stuff. That's all funny. Verse 20, verse 21, Christ took our punishment. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses. I honestly didn't understand this. I honestly, as a person who was in a legal church uh, with the Ten Commandments on the wall, to hear this, it's like, you mean, when I told my family this, oh, you don't have the law anymore? You mean you're lawless? No, grace and forgiveness and relationship with God is way higher than the law. They didn't see it that way. They saw that I'm taking away the law, so they, they interpreted me as antinomialism, antinomialism, anti-law, and just in the name of Jesus, my will be done. And they just, they could not accept this because they were born in a legal church and they were given the old covenant, the contract of law, as the connection contract interface between God and man. That's not the interface. In fact, if I may be so bold, I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. That was never the interface. The law was only brought in. It was just a tutor. It was just a guide. The interface between Almighty God and human beings was, is, and has always been unselfish, sacrificial, other-centered love. Period. Full stop. Whatever stop you want. End of chapter. End of verse. End of Bible end of the universe as far as I'm concerned end of the devil it was always about love how do you interact with with your wife I mean I'm gonna assume that you're having a good marriage you do it through love love fulfills the law if you love a person you'll automatically be lawful but just because you're keeping the law doesn't mean you're loving Jesus said this to the Pharisees he said you know what you keep the law but you're not loving so you're not you're not for, uh, what is the word? You're not forward compatible. The law is not forward compatible with love. But the love, the new contract, is backwards compatible with the old covenant. Am I right or am I right? You don't need to agree with me. You just need to read the Bible and think about it for yourself. It says, we were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. The law came through Moses, but truth and grace, as it says in John chapter 1, came through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a relationship contract, not an information contract. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The mirror was just information. It showed the, uh, the queen, uh, the, it really showed that she was very narcissistic. And you know what? She didn't... Um, she didn't try to replace that. Say, you know what? I need to stop being so prideful. I need to give it up to the fact that Snow White's better looking than me. You know, I can still be a beautiful person, but no, no, no. She could not accept what the mirror was telling her. That somehow Snow White is better than her. She has to be numero uno. That's selfishness. This is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Boy, how did I get to Snow White from here? Okay, I've taken a really wide turn here. Anyways, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fell short except one person. N minus one, right? We all fell short. Only one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, never sinned. He's perfect. 
He kept the law perfectly and he fulfilled the law. Verse 24, yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. We've been freed from that. That's amazing. We have an amazing father. Actually, we always make God to be the baddie and Jesus is saving us from the wrath of the father. So Jesus is sort of like the goody and the father is the baddie. But you know what? God is the one who sent his son. That's the eschaton. That's Genesis 3.15. Someone is going to come. He's going to get his heels going to be bruised, but he's going to crush the head of the serpent. That's Jesus. And who sent Jesus? God, our father. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. That's what it says. God is not the bad guy. Our heavenly father loves us. As Mark Driscoll says, he wants us to call him father because God is about connections, brothers and sisters, men and women. It's the family. It's a family of God. And we have one God, and that's why we call him our father. I just love that. That's relational, not informational. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. God was holding back, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. The cross is a pivotal form of earth's history because all the people who were born before the cross were looking towards the cross and their sins were to be forgiven, and they are. And the people who are born after the cross, which is us, yours truly, now can look back at the cross and know that our sins were forgiven. It's kind of hard to explain. It's hard to understand. It's hard to wrap your mind around. So that's why just don't try to figure it all out. Just lean on God and praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We have an eternal creator. We have a savior at the right hand of the Father. We're going to heaven. Death has no more power over you. Sure, you're going to get old. We are, your destiny is for sure. It's eternal. It's forever. The, the eternal home, heaven, is merging with this, earthly, with this earthly plane which has sin and which is dying. The new heaven and new earth is coming, my friends, and it's coming on a wind and a prayer, and it's coming faster than anybody would have believed. As one man said to me in the church, we are in the last, last, last days. And he used to be a pastor. And if a pastor says that to you, you should believe it. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Man, I, I feel so positive about this. I know I did not feel this before, but now it's beginning to sink into my big, fat, bloated head. And I hope that maybe anybody who's listening, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you you're loved, you're valuable, you're in the new covenant, and you're with God. Okay? God is demonstrating his righteousness in your life. You ain't going anywhere. The adventure is just beginning. It's not just a job. It's an adventure. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. We believe our Heavenly Father because He said so. You know, your dad says something to you when you're a kid. It's like, Daddy, I don't see that. Trust me, okay? Trust me. Your mother says something to you. And it's like, Mommy, I don't want to, I want to do this. I don't want to do this math. I don't want to take this. Uh, I don't want to go to school. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to make any friends. Your mom, your mom says, trust you. I mean, trust me. 
you'll make lots of friends and then you won't want to come home. You'll make lots of friends and this is good for you. So are, we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Because when we are made right with God through faith and we have love and trust between us and our Heavenly Father, we automatically obey the law. We'll fulfill it. You don't have to obey it. You'll fulfill it. You're just, you're just there. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Praise the Lord. He's the God of the Sabbath day, Saturday. He's the God of, of, of the Lord's day, which is Sunday. You know, we got the same God. You can go to church on any day or both days, or you could take a break on one day and then go to church on another day. I told my friend that who was in the same church as me, and it was like, okay, okay, I could see that. We've had some really positive conversations about the Lord. Because you know what, he's a nice guy, but he's been trying to figure God out. But on Sunday, he asked me, why do I do, why do I go to the church on Sunday? Am I not, you know, he didn't say, are you concerned about Saturday, but he still is. And I said, but you know what? Maybe Saturday is still the Sabbath. Doesn't matter. We're Gentiles. You can keep any day. You can go to church on any day, or you could you could still believe Saturday is the Sabbath. Hey, it's the day after Friday. After Friday, baby, it's quitting time. Like Fred Flintstone, you know, when it's like, it's quitting time, and then he'd, he'd scoot off that dinosaur and fly into his car and then drive his car away. It's quitting time. Verse 31, well then, if we emphasize faith, does that, does that mean that we can forget about the law? No way. Of course, not in, not in fact. Only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. That's what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, either, either Matthew 5 or Matthew 7. I have fulfilled the law, and we will too, in Christ our Lord and Savior. Have a blessed evening.